I'm going to say that, no, don't wait. You should buy it now because the prices are the prices. You're going to pay whatever you're going to pay for the home. The interest rate is something that you can change at some point in the future. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. Welcome to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Today, we are going to talk about home buying and how you can be most financially savvy in purchasing a home. We have a special guest today. Her name is Mona Wong. She's a senior loan officer at Monument Mortgage, and she actually started her career there about 15 years ago. But prior to that, she actually was a client and she liked the service that she received from her company. So she decided, hey, I want to be part of the team. So she has a great background in that she has a lot of uh, different types of experiences as related to loans. And she really is not only a good person, a knowledgeable person, but Mona and I are in a business group together and we laugh a lot. So welcome, Mona, to uh, the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Hey, KBK. Thank you so much for having me here. You're welcome. I think it's going to be a good conversation. And one of the things I just want to say is, you know, the home buying process can be stressful. Talking about money and buying a home, and it's one of our largest outlays of money. And so how do you use your sense of humor to kind of help in that process? Because I could see it being very stressful and you cracking a joke and everybody feeling a little bit better. I do. I do. I think that's one of my secret powers. And, um, you know, it's buying a house. It's not brain surgery. So nobody's going to die. That's all (laughs) I have to say. Nobody's dying. (laughs) Well, that's good. So today when we're talking about the conversations you need to have and what you need to kind of consider when buying a home, we know that nobody's dying. So that's good. Nobody's dying. (laughs) So tell us just briefly, how did you get into this business? I know you were a client first, but tell us more. Yeah. So literally by accident, I actually went to school for hotel management and did that for a little bit. And then I, in 2002, I somehow ended up in human resources for a home care agency. And when the market sort of went bad and you know there was no need for HR, I went to a headhunter and the only job they could come up with was for a mortgage company as a processor. So I knew absolutely nothing (laughs) other than the mortgage I was paying um, that Monument Mortgage helped me get. And I went to work for them and was trained by the quirkiest underwriter I've ever met, but she taught me everything. So now I am brilliant, you know, and I'm able to look at situations from different angles and rework things and just, it's like working a puzzle. I love that you equate it to working a puzzle because some people find the process really frustrating. However, 
the biggest question that I hear people ask, and I'm wondering if it's the same for you, is everybody wants to know, you know, what is the right time to buy? How do you know it's the right time to buy your first house or to buy your next house? Well, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So one never truly knows. But, you know, for those people who are continually trying to save that, that ominous 20% down, and you keep on waiting and the, the home prices keep driving up and that 20% keeps going up. And so you're kind of like that hamster in a wheel chasing your tail. So I say there are programs out there where you don't need 20%. Talk to a professional and see what you can afford. You would be surprised. And I've actually had that happen before. Real life story with an old schoolmate who thought, oh my God, I'm never going to own. And after we talked about it, we found out that she could, and she did. So let me just jump in here, though. So my concern, and this would be my banking background way back when, mm-hmm. uh, working for the FDIC, is if you don't have 20% down, are you not putting yourself in a difficult position financially? And I, of course, am going back to you know the Great Recession and when mm-hmm. a lot of people had problems with their mortgage because their values were flipped. In other words, they owed more than their house was worth. So help us understand that. So, you know, one of the biggest things with that phobia of not having 20% down is PMI, because for some reason- Which is private mortgage insurance for people who don't That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. And so there's always, you know, because everybody knows, right? You talk to somebody, they know, and they'll tell you that PMI is really expensive, but that's actually not the truth. It is now that it makes it possible for people to buy without 20% down. The PMI is lower now, so it makes it more affordable for the buyers. In terms of the value, if you look at the charts and the graphs they have out there, I mean, you can Google it and see, going back like 20, 30 years, home prices have only been going up. Now, yes, there are blips where the values have come down, but they come back up pretty fast. And so if you look at real estate as a long-term investment, you should be okay. So that's interesting because a lot of times people talk about like, well, I've lost money on my house, but until you actually sell your house, you haven't lost a dime. Well, that's exactly it. In 2005, I bought my house. The very next year, it, it you know, quote unquote, dropped $100,000 according to Zillow. But I didn't lose anything. I knew it wasn't going to be moving anytime soon. So, you know, here I am now with the values where they're at. I've doubled my investment. Yeah. So it, it is an interesting thing. I've, I've owned, let's see, three houses in my life, maybe four. <laughs> Blanking <laughs> up. Uh, but, you know, we, we had a second home for a period of time and things like that. And it is it is very interesting. You don't have as much control over that part of things. Right. So you're saying, similar to when you invest in the stock market, like think of it long term. Don't think of it as, you know, short term and, and you know, the value goes down and you lose money. It also right. sounds like you work with people to find programs that put them in a situation where, if they don't have the 20%, it's it's a well thought out decision, not just somebody saying, I'm going to have 100% financing. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times my initial conversation with a borrower or a buyer will be different by the time they actually have a home under agreement. And, you know, the idea is we start off with a plan 
And then when you actually have something solid, we look and see, okay, what do we have available now? What, what's better for you now? What's not better for you? And see what options you have at that point, because guidelines are constantly changing. New programs are constantly being introduced to us. So you just never know. And I don't like to make decisions from the very beginning when there's so many answers that we need until you actually get there. And so at what point in the process should somebody contact you? Should it be before they're looking, while they're looking? Definitely before they're looking. And one of the reasons for that is because of your credit. So it's always, I don't know why, but it's always when you're ready to buy a home and you pull your credit and you find out there's like stuff there. (laughs) And it's like, where did the stuff come from? Like true story, when my husband and I went to buy our first place, we found out that apparently there are 50,000 other people with the same name as him. And there were other credit accounts under his name that pulled up on his credit report. And we had to get that all cleaned up. We were lucky where it didn't affect his credit score and we were able to get it cleaned up. But this is the kind of stuff like when you're dealing with the credit report, sometimes you need time. Sometimes that's all you need is time to help it fix or, you know, whatever you need to do to make it better. You just need time and you need a plan. So it's never, I would say that it's never too early, especially if you know that you might have some, you know, stuff in your credit that you come up with a plan so that you can fix that. So get a load of this. I have a story. So my husband and I were not husband and wife yet. We were living together. We were planning on getting married, but we wanted to buy a condo. And so we went and looked at a variety of different uh, properties. We ended up putting an offer on a condo. And, you know, like I said before, former FDIC bank examiner, conservative, you know, wonderful credit numbers, and just assumed that my husband, well, he may not have as good of uh, credit scores just because of his background. I thought, I didn't think anything of it. So we placed the offer they're in the process of accepting the offer and I get a call from the realtor and she says, and again, we're not married yet. She goes, you know, I think you should buy this property without Brian. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, why? Uh, Bottom line was his identity had been stolen by a family member. He had all this bad credit. His credit score was in the tanker. And so he had no idea that this happened. He co-signed a loan with a family member who is no longer a family member who's, needless to say, kind of a bum. And my husband is just giving. And so all of a sudden I was like, so I just went to buy a condo and now I'm like reevaluating, is this the man I should spend my life with? So it was a very, very stressful time. So I can tell you, hopefully your story won't be such a surprise, but it is good to get that stuff out of the way. Needless to say- didn't buy the condo, took some time to address the family issues, talk about breaking money silence around money, and also address his credit scores. And then, you know, like I said, we've bought three or four homes together. So uh, it all worked out in the end. But boy, that was an eye-opening experience. It was exciting, Uh, right? It was. It was. It was the beginning of this career I didn't know I would have, breaking money (laughs) silence with so many people. Uh, The other thing that I'm hearing, Mona, a lot from the advisors that I work with, as well as just friends, families, and some of my coaching clients, 
is with inflation and rates going up, people are freaking out. So does it make sense to just wait for rates to go down or does it make sense to act regardless of what the rate is on a mortgage? So, so here's the situation that's happening right now as we're speaking is that yes, there's inflation. Yes, rates are going up, but so aren't home prices. And reality is that we have a lack of supply. There are not enough houses for people to buy. And so currently people are still paying over asking, literally fighting to buy a home. And, you know, homes are getting multiple offers in the double digits. And so it's it's phenomenal. It is phenomenal. And like you said, the rates are high. So it's happening out there. And so when there is no supply and there's high demand, guess what happens? Just basic economics, your prices are going to keep on going up. So I'm going to say that, no, don't wait. You should buy it now because the prices are the prices. You're going to pay whatever you're going to pay for the home. The interest rate is something that you can change at some point in the future. Interest rates are cyclical. They go up, they go down, they go up, they go down. At some point, they are going to come down. Home prices most likely will not be coming down. Sure, there are pockets where they might dip a little bit, but they're going to come back in like what we talked about earlier. You know, if you look at it as a long-term investment, your home price is going to continue to go up. So I think it is better for you to buy when it's lower even though the interest rates are higher, you can change your interest rate later. Well, and you're talking about changing interest rate by refinancing your home or at some point in the future. So you may lock in a rate. I don't even know. What are rates today? Mona, you would know. I don't know well, what they are. I mean, we're looking at somewhere between, depending on what you're doing, you're going to be looking at something in the sixes, possibly high fives. Um, okay, really so if depends. you're looking at if you're looking at the sixes or high fives, what you're saying is if rates go down, for people who don't understand this, for rates that rates go down, you potentially could refinance and get a loan at a lower rate. I also want to put in that you know I've been a homeowner. Oh, I don't even want to tell you the number of years, but it's got to be thirty five <laughs> years, <laughs> and six percent is still relatively pretty good. Oh my goodness. 2001, I bought my first condo and my interest rate that I got with Monument Mortgage was 9.75%. So when people are crying about six and a half percent, I'm like, you don't know what you're crying about. (laughs) So yes, having that perspective, but I, I like the idea of, you know, if you want to buy a house now, to buy it and know that there's some things that you can do from a financial standpoint going forward when and if rates go down. Hi, it's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I want to take a quick time out to tell you a little bit about financial therapy. Yes, financial therapy. That word keeps showing up in the media more and more, but I've been doing financial therapy for years. And in 2023, I'm going to expand this part of my business. And I wanted you, my podcast listeners, to be the first to know. 
If you're curious about what is financial therapy, just know that it helps individuals and couples change unhealthy money habits, attitudes that cause them stress, anxiety, and lead them to feel uncomfortable with money. If you have trouble making big decisions, if you find that you're shopping too much, carrying too much debt, worrying about money, even though you shouldn't be worrying about money because there's enough in the bank, it may be time to consider financial therapy. The benefits are numerous and individual, but former clients have told me that they have experienced in a very short period of time, a decrease in money-related anxiety and stress, they have less conflict about money in their relationships, and they engage in more productive money conversations. The advisors that refer clients to me say, finally, my clients can make the changes in their financial behaviors in order to save for their future. So if this sounds appealing to you and you want to know a little bit more, I have a special offer. I'm offering a free 30-minute consultation to anyone who's interested in learning more about financial therapy. You can email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com or you can go to the show notes, click on the schedule link and set something up via my automatic calendar. If you're listening to this not on my website and you find that I don't want to do that, I would rather just reach out to you directly. Feel free to use my private email at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com and shoot me an email letting me know you'd like to take advantage of this time-limited offer. So my hope is we'll chat about financial therapy soon, and now it's time to get back to our regular programming. Now, the other thing that I think is interesting is you told me a story when we were prepping for this podcast about working with people who are buying their first home and helping them have conversations they need to have, but also kind of deciding, is it too early for them to purchase a home? And usually yeah. you don't hear that from a mortgage broker, but tell us, like, how do you help people decide if it's too early for them to be in this game of, of home ownership? I always ask them. So, you know, one thing that we, we initially ask, or I initially will ask is, you know, how much do you have for down payment? And is that everything you have? Because I never want to leave a buyer with nothing. We don't want to be in a situation where you're living on peanut butter for the next 15 years. That's not what we're going to do. And we all know the emergencies will happen. So we look and say, okay, how much do you have for down payment? Next thing we do is we talk about your budget. Um, and not everybody will have this conversation. People will say, oh, yeah, you're pre-approved for X amount of dollars. And they run off to their real estate agent. They're like, great, I can buy this million dollar home. And not knowing exactly what that monthly payment is. Right. So that's what I always tell people. I'm like, you have to have that conversation about budget. Because no matter what the rate is, it doesn't matter. If you cannot afford the monthly payment, you can't afford the monthly payment doesn't matter how well the rate is. So I always tell people, consider what is your current rent? How much are you paying for rent? If you're paying $2,000 or if you're paying nothing, okay. Now let's think about how much of a home do you want to buy? If you said, if I said to you, you know, you can, you can afford to buy a home now, how much are some of the homes that would appeal to you um, that you would want to live in. And we kind of figure out, okay, well, take that dollar amount against your down payment. Okay, that's doable. Now let's see what that monthly payment could look like for you. And don't forget to include your taxes and your insurance on that house. 
So let's say for sake of this argument, um, that that monthly amount is $4,000 a month. And if you're currently paying $2,000 a month for rent, I would say this, I would say, okay, every month after your rent, take another 2000, throw it into an account of some sort and do this for a few months and see if you can survive. And if you can survive, that's a good sign that you're ready to move on to the next step. If you can't survive, then we need to know, okay, we need to adjust it back and let's find what's going to be your happy medium. And, and we work backwards towards that number. And in either situation, at the end of the day, you're going to have some money put away in an account. So you could use that towards your closing cost or, you know, whatever other costs you might have when it comes to buying a new home, or if you want to buy paint or something, you have a little bit of a savings right there. I love that because it's not only helping somebody experience and change a financial behavior or realizing what it's going to look like. It's it sets somebody up to have the savings account and also have a real life experience of what is this going to be like to pay this mortgage? Because yeah. it can be a really scary thing. And I have seen people early on in my career who, and I'm sure it still happens, who are so house poor that they're miserable. And while it's yeah. nice to have a home, I'm not going to lie, I enjoy it. It also, I don't know if it's necessarily worth being miserable or overbuying in terms of square footage. So that's that's such a great example of how I think, Mona, you work with clients in a little bit different of a way. The other question that comes up for me is the idea of, you know, this is a show called Breaking Money Silence, and a home is a big expense. So are there specific conversations besides that one that you encourage individuals buying a home or couples buying a home to have uh, as part of this process? Um, I always tell them, you know, you got to remember, we talk about the escrow account, which is an account that's part of your mortgage for your taxes and insurance. I always tell them to think of it as a savings account within your mortgage, where your monthly mortgage puts money in there, and your taxes and your insurance gets drawn from there. You know, it's something that they don't think about, because when you go and buy a home, you think down payment, down payment, you don't think about the other stuff that comes with it, your home inspection that's going to cost you money. Your taxes, that's going to cost you. Your home insurance, that's going to cost you. So I, I make sure that they know about these costs uh, so that they can prepare for it. And that's also why, you know, if somebody came to me and said, I've got $50,000 to throw at a house, great. What else do you have? And if they tell me, nope, that's all I have, then I might say, okay, maybe we think about putting down 30000 You know, you may not want to wipe the bank out for this one house. Well, and what is also interesting in terms of, you know, coaching clients around having money conversations is often couples will start looking for a home together and realize some of their values around buying a home or around money are different. You know, like, yes. you know, she wants the big house on the hill. He wants to live and, you know, have one that you fix up. So it's sweat equity. Oh. And so it's a time where I think having a lot of conversations, the concrete ones that you're encouraging people to have, but also having ones around, you know, why are you buying a home? What value are you honoring? You know, what are you willing to forego? What are you willing, not willing to forego in terms of, you know, what type of house? 
it, it, it's such an interesting time. And I think the other thing that is interesting to me, and I don't have the stat in front of me, but there are more single women buying homes than single men. I have heard that as well, actually. I've read that somewhere. So in some ways, I think, you know, this is uh, very apropos for people who are either single women, divorced women, or women in business that happen, you know, maybe to have a long-term relationship, but they're buying a home alone. And I know a lot of listeners to this podcast are professional women and women in business. Some are entrepreneurs. And so I'm wondering, are there any specific challenges in buying a home when you have your own business? Yeah, I mean, it's not a secret. Self-employed buyers, they go through the ringer, man. I mean, they, it is not easy. I don't sugarcoat it. And I tell everybody like it is up front because you need to know the journey we're about to head down. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, self, and one of the reasons why it's so difficult is because when you're self-employed, underwriters look at your net income. So that's after all the expenses and everything that's written off. Whereas if you work for somebody and you're W2'd, we take your gross income, which is before taxes, before 401k, before health insurance, like all that stuff we don't care about. So it is harder for the self-employed borrower to buy. Now, the other thing that's typically a general rule for self-employed borrowers is that they want a two-year history in looking at your tax returns. Sometimes we can get away with one year, but in general, I would say two years. So my advice to all the self-employed people out there is to prepare yourselves. If you know that you're going to be purchasing a home in the next two to three years, you need to make your taxes fat. So in other words, slim down on the write-offs and make your gross, make your net income higher. So that when we take a two-year history, that income is there. I know it's going to probably result in higher taxes being paid, but we don't. And so strangely enough, we don't look at that, but we look at the income, the, the net income before the, before the tax is being paid. So I would say try and keep your um, income high for at least two years prior to purchasing. Well, and as somebody, um, like I'm not self-employed. I have an S corp, but I'm the only, I'm the only employee. So I'm a mm-hmm. W two. So it's a, yeah. it's a structure that I have. But I certainly, uh, when I bought my first home, had a counseling practice, and I was self-employed. I didn't have an S corp. I didn't have a W two, and yeah. you know we had that experience. And so, what's interesting is if you're being business-minded around you know taxes and doing tax strategies all within a legal framework. Sometimes you are really minimizing that, whereas what you're saying is, you know, again, thinking about this as a long-term thing, especially if you're self-employed, of looking at how can I make sure that my business and my tax returns look really good. Uh, right. And I going to I, the S-Corp, you know, yep. the difference between an S-Corp and, and just doing uh, a Schedule C, you know, the S-Corp, you might W-2 yourself, right? And give yourself an yep. income. So it's important for the S-Corp to show a positive income. Because okay. if your S-Corp is negative and you're paying yourself, well, yeah, you're your really not business the actually isn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one plus one equals two. Right. So we're doing some basic math. But yes, yeah, no, I think that that's great advice. And, it, you know, as I'm talking with you today and 
I'm thinking, you know, I work with a lot of bankers. I think banks are great. Uh, they're some of my best clients. Yeah, I do mm -hmm. have, have had mortgages from banks. I've had mortgages from mortgage brokers. You know, I'm seeing that there's a lot of advantages in working with you, but I'm just like putting myself in the shoes of a podcast listener going, well, why shouldn't I just go to my bank? Why should I go to somebody like Mona? Like, sure. What are the sure. benefits of working with you versus going to a bank directly? So banks are great, but banks are, they only have to offer what they have, like what they have. So if they don't have a variety of products, you can only get A, B, or C, maybe just A or B. So it's, you have to fit into their box. And if you don't, there are no other options for you. Whereas working with somebody like me, we have multiple lenders that we work with. And so when I look at your scenario, which again could change over time um, until you actually have that home under agreement, and that's what the beauty of this is, I can say, okay, we have an option A. And then if something changes, well, look, I have an option B. And, and so on. So I have a variety of products for different reasons, different scenarios. So it just, it's sort of like going into like a variety store versus going into like a boutique. I love that analogy. And so because we're breaking money silence, tell everybody how you're typically paid. Is it the institution that pays you? Is it the buyer that pays you? How does that work? So the lender pays me. We are a fixed income. And so I'm giving you my best advice. And it doesn't matter which option you choose, what rate you choose. I'm getting paid the same amount from the lender either way. So we can, you know, so I'm truly giving you the best options that I have for you. I also know you personally, and so you're so transparent that, you know, you in general is somebody, I can't see you, I hear that there's not that conflict of interest because you're being paid the same by all the different lenders, but it is, so I can't possibly see you, Mona, being like, uh, not transparent about anything. So I think that is certainly one of your superpowers, uh, in addition to the brilliance you mentioned earlier <laughs> on in the podcast. Thank you, KVK. <laughs> so um, we need to get going. So tell people how they can find out more about your business and if they have further questions about mortgages. I know you're great at educating people. You're not a pushy salesperson. Uh, they can contact you with questions. I am definitely not pushy. You can contact me at my, on my email, monaw at monumentmortgage.com, or you can call me, 617-818-7430. I also welcome text messages. Love them. Use your best emoji. And um, you can also check out our website, uh, monumentmortgage.com. You are so fun and it was nice. Uh, I learned something. Hopefully our audience learned something a little bit about mortgages and mortgage brokers. And thank you so much for breaking money silence with me today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app 
and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.